You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord I've chosen a memory verse for us to work on this morning. And uh, if you would, I'd like you to recite it with me. So, Isaac, if you would go ahead and put it up on the screen. Colossians 3, verse 17. Let's read this together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's do it again. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well done. Now, if you... um, agree with that teaching, and if that's what you strive to do each day, then this lesson today is for you. I know we, might, uh, we might read it this way, putting a little extra emphasis on two words, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So everything we do should be done to honor our God, who gave us Jesus, his Son, and through whom brings us the, uh, and, and who through Jesus brings us the glorious promise of life with our Creator both now and forever. Everything we should do, should, everything we do should be done to honor Him. But sometimes what we intend to do to honor God doesn't go quite the way we planned or the way we had dreamed even if we do everything the right way and with all the right intentions. When I was a student at Harding University, a Christian school in Arkansas, I worked in the library. I worked at the reference desk in the library, and so we helped students and sometimes even teachers who came in, couldn't find what they were looking for or were trying to find an obscure bit of information. We'd have to help them track it down. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that job. My supervisor was one of the librarians, reference librarian, Anne Hobby was her name. You see her up on the, on the screen there, highlighted with the blue and the yellow. <clears throat> and her husband was Dr. Ken Hobby. He was professor of behavior sciences. He taught psychology. Well, on one of those days when the library wasn't too busy and I guess nobody needed our help at that moment, Mrs. Hobby and I were just sitting at the reference desk waiting to be needed, and we started chatting, and she sort of told me the story about her and Dr. Hobby's life together, and she said they had attended Harding in the 60s, same school, and when, uh, when they were students, they, they got married, I don't know if it was before or after graduation, but somewhere right around there, and they dreamed of doing mission work overseas, and that became their passion. It's what they wanted to do for God. It's so natural for us when we love God deeply, when we're so grateful for all that he's done for us, to dream of doing great things for him in return. They wanted to be missionaries. That was their dream. And so they trained, they prepared, they chose where they wanted to go. They were growing spiritually. Everything was going the right direction. And then when school was done, then they went out and started raising funds to get out on the mission field because, you know, being a missionary is not cheap. They tried and they tried and they went to churches and they gave their presentation on here's what we'd like to do, would you support us? And, you know, the money just didn't come in. It just didn't come. 
So they tried and tried some more, and they prayed and prayed that God would help them and bless them because they relied on God. They knew if they were going to be missionaries, they had to rely on God. We all have to anyway. But the money still didn't come. And finally, they had to accept that though they had this wonderful dream of how they were going to serve God, God was telling them no. He was closing that door, and they had to give up that dream. Everything we do should be done to honor our God. But there are two huge obstacles, two temptations that can stop us from honoring God and what he gives us to do. One is, well, they both start with dis, D-I-S. So one is disappointment. The other is distraction, distraction. The hobbies were definitely disappointed. They wanted to be missionaries on the mission field. But they didn't let their disappointment keep them from honoring God in everything they did. And so they just kept praying for God's guidance. And they decided that Mr. Hobby would go back to school and get his doctorate in psychology. And he did. Mrs. Hobby went back to school, got her degree as a librarian. He eventually got a job teaching at Harding University, same school they graduated from, same school I went to. He taught there for 30 years. And in that role, he became a godly influence in the lives of hundreds, maybe thousands of young Christian adults just embarking out into the big wide world. A lot of them became psychologists or counselors or social workers and are still serving God in those roles today. And I have no way to estimate the number of lives that have been blessed through the lives that Dr. Hobby blessed and the students he ministered to. Meanwhile, Mrs. Hobby did become a librarian, and she eventually took a job at Harding University, same as her husband, and that's how she became a huge blessing in my life and many other lives as well. And together they raised a family. Uh, one of their children was their daughter, Anessa. She married Tim. Uh, Anessa and Tim and I were uh, students at the same time at Harding. Tim and Anessa... They became missionaries. They served in Hungary for eight years after they graduated from college. And then they returned to the States, and they uh, now are teaching at Harding like uh, her parents did before them. And they work with churches here in our country in addition to their teaching. And so the mission work that Ken and Hobby dreamed of but did not get to do, it still got done just a generation later through their daughter and their son-in-law. And meanwhile, God didn't neglect Ken and Ann Hobby, but he gave them an excellent ministry as well. It wasn't what they had dreamed of, but it was good and possibly better than what they had had in mind when you look back on it. And so in the end, as Mrs. Hobby was sharing that story with me, I sensed that they clearly saw how God had worked in their lives over the decades, and they were not disappointed anymore. But they had been faithful, and God had blessed them in ways that they came to thoroughly appreciate. We're coming near the end of our study of David in the Bible. We're going to finish this series of lessons on his life next week. David worked with all his heart to honor God. I, I know he messed up. 
I know he sinned badly. We've talked about that. He failed badly a few times. It's like he never did anything small, right? Everything David did was big. When he served God, he served God big. When he sinned, he sinned big. When he repented, he repented big. And then when he served God again, he served God big again. But before he sinned and after he sinned, after he repented of his sin, he devoted himself to God with all his heart and worked hard to honor the Lord. And at one point, like the hobbies, David had a grand dream, what he wanted to do to honor God. He brings it up in 1 Chronicles 17. Let's begin our reading there. We're going to be jumping through 1 Chronicles a little bit. Let's start in chapter 17, verse 1. After David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. David replied, uh, Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. <clears throat> At this point, David is still fairly young. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's probably in his late 30s or early 40s. This is before his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. He has brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. That's that sacred box that symbolizes God's presence in Israel. And he set up a special tent for it, but he notices a problem. And he mentions it to the prophet Nathan. It doesn't seem right that he has a luxurious palace that he's built for himself to live in, but God, his dwelling place in Jerusalem, in Israel, is in a tent. doesn't seem right. And so David wants to honor God by building a house for God. And the prophet Nathan, same prophet who later will confront him about his sin, says, go ahead. God is with you. Everything you do, God blesses. Go for it. But as it turns out, Nathan has spoken a little bit too soon. God steps in. And so now verse 3. <clears throat> but that night... The word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of, of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. 
I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. David had this excellent, noble dream of building a house for God, a a temple, a place worthy of housing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. But when he asked about, man, go ahead and do this, God said, no. He said, no. Not because there was anything wrong with David's idea, that the idea itself was good and right, but you know, God had his own reasons for saying no, which we'll see a little bit later. And so when Nathan brings that message to David, here's the question. Will David be disappointed? And if so, will he be so disappointed that he will get angry and turn away from God like, God, I tried to do a nice thing for you, and you said, you said no. What, you don't, you don't think I'm worthy to do things for you? I'll just stop then. Is that how he'll react? God told Ken and Ann Hobby no when they wanted to be missionaries. But he had other plans for them. Plans that they couldn't see yet. Plans that were good, maybe even better than what they had in mind. When I was in graduate school, I applied for a job as a youth minister. I needed to make some money to get me through school. And I I love working with teenagers, always have, still do. I applied for this job and God said no. The way he said no is they gave the job to another guy, my friend. I was very disappointed. I was happy for my friend. I was disappointed for me. But I kept looking for where God wanted to lead me, kept asking him to lead me. And a few weeks later, he gave me a better job, one that eventually led to this job, for which I'm very grateful. You may have had plans to go into a certain career for God's glory. You may have had plans to raise children for God's glory or to be someone's spouse for God's glory. You may have wanted to be a missionary for God's glory, or you may have wanted to just start a great ministry right here for God's glory. And God, for whatever reasons, closed those doors, maybe just for a short time, or maybe completely. You may have even just longed to be active in the church. You just wanted to serve in the church and and show your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and your love for God, but your health hasn't allowed it, and God hasn't yet healed you, and you just can't do what you, you, just the simple things you want to do. And that can be so frustrating. We just want to do good things for God who has done so many good things for us. David just wanted to honor the God who had made him king, who had blessed Israel, who had given them peace. He wanted to build a house for God in Jerusalem, but God said no. At the same time, though, God did do something for David. He poured out some new blessings on David. He promised him in verse 8, I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. Your name is going to go down in history, and it has. In verse 9, he said, I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. So he would give Israel safety and security and peace in their land. And God did that. And in verses 10 to 12, God tells David, who had wanted to build a house for God, God says, the Lord will build a house for you, a monarchy. David's house would always rule over Israel, and one of David's own sons would build the temple, the house for God, one day. 
So was David disappointed when God told him no? Well, I imagine he probably was. He wanted to build a temple for God. He had this great dream in mind. So I imagine he was disappointed. But mostly, as it turns out, he was overwhelmed by God's kindness to him. He prays to God uh, starting in verse 16. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord. For the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. And then David's prayer goes on. He continues to express his gratitude over and over in this prayer. It's so much easier to not get stuck in disappointment over dreams that God says no to when God helps us by giving us a glimpse of where he wants to take us instead. And then when we see a little bit of where he's wanting to take us, we respond with gratitude. David sees here where God wants to take him, and he's grateful. God's going to give him a house, a descendant who will be on the throne of Israel, and that will continue over time. And God will bless Israel when David is gone. And so David prays this prayer of thanksgiving to God, even though God told him, No, because God in so many other ways has given him more than he could have asked for. The throne of Israel, God's presence with the nation, a royal house that will endure. Okay, let's step away from David for just a second. Let's review our memory verse. Memory verses, you know, you have to say them over and over until they stick in your head. Colossians 3.17, read it with me again if you would. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Good job. Back to David. First Chronicles 17 happens fairly early in David's reign. Somewhere around the middle of his reign, it seems to be when David looks at that woman that he shouldn't have been looking at, and he falls into sin for about a year And that dark year leads to some other dark years for David and his two older sons, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, some dark times for Israel. But David repents completely, and he again devotes himself to honoring God. And so in his later years, he is still passionate about building a temple for God. The problem is God had said David wouldn't get to build it. He said David's son would get to build it. But that presents a new opportunity. God did not say that David couldn't make preparations for the building of the temple. And so that's what David begins to do. He starts preparing for his son to build the new temple, the house for God. So let's skip ahead to chapter 22 and verse 2. Chapter 22 and verse 2. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel, and from among them he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. So you see how he's making preparations for this construction. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted, for the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. David said, My son Solomon, 
is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore I, will make extens- uh, therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you, and may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel, so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone, and you may add to them. You have many workers, stonecutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He said to them, Is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not granted you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hands, and the land is subject to the Lord and to his people. Now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build the sanctuary of the Lord God, so that you may bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. At this point, David is getting old. He's not very far from his death, but he still wants to do this for God. You know, we don't love God less as we age. And in fact, often we love him more as we come to rely on him more and more and as we find him faithful. God built David a house. David wants to build God a house. But he now understands why God told him no. God has revealed to him that it's because David's always been a warrior. He's, been a, he's a man who has shed much blood, and God wants a man of peace to build this house. Maybe that's not the way David would have chosen for it to be. Maybe he would have said, well, let me go ahead and build the, the temple anyway, but he understands where God's coming from, and he's okay with it. And so, like parents who never got to be missionaries, but whose children get to be missionaries, David does everything he can to invest in the good work that God is going to have his son do. This is the role that God has given David. And so David goes all out. He gathers gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone, and more cedar logs than they can count, workmen, craftsmen, and he gets all these things ready for Solomon to build the temple. David has dealt well with the temptation of disappointment. 
He has been able to set aside his dream and do what God has appointed him to do, which is also good. But now he becomes aware of another temptation, one that was an obstacle in his own service to God for a time, and it could become an obstacle to Solomon's construction of the temple. That other temptation is distraction. David was distracted for a time by his lust and then by his attempts to cover up his sin. But he's gotten past that. He is reconciled with God. God has forgiven him. That was years earlier. He's focused on God again entirely. But what if Solomon gets distracted by sin? What will happen then? What if he never does the work God has assigned to him to build the temple? And so David stresses to Solomon how he needs to obey the Lord. And you hear that in verses 12 and 13 here in chapter 22. He says, May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. For David to accomplish God's will in his life, he had to deal with his disappointment. For Solomon to accomplish God's will for him, he will have to beware of distraction. Our enemy, the devil, loves to either catch us in disappointment and cause us to lose heart in our service to God or catch us when we're blessed, comfortable, at ease, and entice us away from God with the deceitful delights of sin and use those to pull us away from the good work that God has for us to do in his kingdom. And David knows about both of these temptations from experience, and so he instructs Solomon to be careful to obey God's laws. Stay true to God. Then in verse 17, David calls the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. He's, putting a, he's building a team around Solomon. And they start getting everything organized for the temple that David will prepare for, but will not live to see built. You know, it's, it's humbling, and it's very important, and I think more so as we get older, for us to recognize that some of the good work that God calls us to do, um, you know, some of it might not be the big thing we wanted to do, but it might be preparation work for what God will have the next generation do. It may be our kids and not us who get to be the missionaries. It may be our children or grandchildren and not us who see a revival of faith in God in our land in their time. But if so, then God has perhaps given us the honorable work of making preparations to get them ready. Teaching our children and our grandchildren faith planting seeds of faith and godliness in the community, helping the church get ready for what God will do later on. Like David, we may not get to do the big thing that we dream of, or maybe not every time at least, but we may get to make preparations for when it is done. Well, David spends the next four chapters of First Chronicles getting things ready for the temple. He's mostly arranging the duties of the priests and the Levites who will serve in God's temple when it is built. But in the background, he's also drawing up architectural plans, accumulating supplies, building a team around Solomon, preparing Solomon himself. And then one last time in chapter 28, David, now very old, presents all these preparations to Solomon and to the officials of Israel. He's an old man now. 
And he gathers together all of Israel's officials and Solomon, and he speaks to them. And let's start in chapter 28, verse 2. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader, and from the tribe of Judah he chose my family. And from my father's sons he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom forever if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws, as is being done at this time. So now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. And then David goes on to give Solomon the plans that God has communicated to David for how he wants the new temple to be built. But again, the key to the success of this project and the value of this house that Solomon will build for God is not merely that it will be made of the finest wood and the finest gold and silver and the stones, but more importantly, that Israel and its king will keep their focus on the Lord. What good is the temple if the people turn away from God? And so David says to Israel's officials in verse 8, Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God. Keep your focus on God, right? So that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And he reminds Solomon once more in verse 9, Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. And this is what all of us who want to honor God with our lives need to focus on. Whether God says yes to our dreams or no, if we seek God and obey his commands and serve him with wholehearted devotion, he will give us good work to do in his kingdom. And he will bless us more than we deserve. But we have to keep our focus on him and avoid distraction. And Solomon... In his early years, he did avoid distraction. In his early years as king. Now later on, he turned away from God. But in his early years, he was focused on God. And he built the house of God, the temple in Jerusalem. It was a beautiful, rich, elaborate, magnificent structure for its time. Solomon built it. And because he built it, we traditionally call it Solomon's temple. Though to be honest, David did all the preparation work. So he had to get some credit too. 
And we cannot know all the plans that God has for us in our days on this earth, whether we have a long way to go yet or just a few more days. We cannot know what God has in mind for us. All we know is that whether God says yes or no to our plans, whether he blesses them or redirects them, we should always do what Colossians 3.17 says. Read it with me one last time. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you. Everything we do should be done to honor our God, who through Jesus our Lord gave us a better promise than David ever had, the glorious promise of life with him both now and forevermore. And to honor God, we need to understand that when we dream up great plans for how we're going to serve God, sometimes he'll say yes to those plans, and sometimes he'll say no, according to his wisdom, according to what he has in mind for us to do, and we'll need to be able to stay faithful in spite of our disappointment when he says no. And whether we get to pursue our dreams in God's service with great joy, or whether he redirects us to other good work he has in mind for us to do, and we pursue that with great joy, we'll need to stay focused on serving him faithfully and not get distracted by any temptation to sin. And God will bless us. David wanted, after he was gone, to leave behind a great legacy, a temple he had built, a house for God in Jerusalem. He didn't get to do that. Solomon, his son, got to build the temple. Yet it was sort of David's temple too because he had made the preparations for it. But David left behind a far greater legacy than the temple. He left for Solomon and for Israel and for us a legacy of repentance and true faith in God. He was a broken, fallible man, but he was also a man of God. And that's the legacy he left for us. Whatever dreams you have for how you might serve God today or tomorrow, may God bless them richly, even if he needs to redirect them in a small way or in a big way as he thinks is best. But most of all, may he bless you with great faith as you serve him. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God bless you. Let's pray. God, our Father, let your blessing rest upon your church today in this place and across the world. Dear Lord, you know our hearts, that we love you, that we seek you. You know all our struggles, and you know how, like David, we uh, sometimes fall uh, but you lift us up again and we turn our eyes to you once again. Help us to walk with you faithfully. Lord God, you know uh, the dreams that we have in our hearts, uh, that we would like to do great things for you. Some of us in blessing our grandchildren or great-grandchildren and encouraging them in faith. Some of us in, in maybe uh, some kind of ministry in the church, in the community. Uh, some of us, uh, Lord, just by uh, our career, or whatever, whatever it might be, Lord, that you have this dream that, that we have developed. Lord, search through our dreams. Pick the ones that are good and, and bless them. The ones that uh, are not the way you want us to go, Lord, redirect them. Guide us in your ways. Help us, like David, not to be disappointed too much when you tell us no, but to remain faithful, knowing that you will continue to uh, bless and guide us and use us in your good service. Help us, Lord, to stay free from the distractions of sin and all its uh, enticements. 
Help us, Lord, to keep our focus on you and do what is good and right in your sight, that we may honor you fully and walk with you faithfully. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for Jesus, uh, who modeled uh, these traits for us most of all, who uh, was faithful to you, even to the cross, where I'm sure he did not desire to go, and who was never distracted by sin, but always kept his eyes on you. Thank you for his sacrifice for us. Thank you for his great love, which revealed to us your great love for all your people, all who seek you. We seek you today, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen.